Welcome to the story. A TVNZ podcast which takes a story that's been in the news and looks at what's behind it. I'm John Campbell and this is the story of the Pacific Island nation of Nauru, Australian detention centres and a colleague here at TVNZ. Tonight on One News, detained by police in Nauru, Pacific Islands correspondent... When Barbara Dreva was detained by police in Nauru at the beginning of September, her detention was reported globally and became a lead story at home. One News Pacific correspondent Barbara Dreva has now been released by police in Nauru but stripped of media accreditation. It's not clear why authorities had detained the TVNZ journalist. I was interviewing a refugee which we'd been told we could do so as long as we had their permission. In short, they wanted Barbara to stop working. And what's the best way to achieve that? Easy. You were detained. How were you detained? They demanded to see my visa, said I was breaching it, ordered me into the car, um, took my phone away, for, snatched, my, snatched my phone out of my hands. They took me into a room and it was in darkness. And, they, and I obviously thought, this is so strange. It, I could see the silhouette of a police officer at the end um, of the, behind a desk. And, and I said to him, oh, this is so weird. Why are we sitting in the dark? And he said, just relax, don't worry. It wasn't until a female Australian police officer came to the door and said, why are you sitting in the darkness? And he said, the light's broken. She switched it on. Um, and she said, unless you want it off. And I said, absolutely not. I'd be quite keen for it to be on. And she said, I thought you might. And, um, yeah. So, so, so this was low-level intimidation, right? I think it was supposed to be, but I decided to talk for half an hour about climate change, fishing, um, youth crime in New Zealand, you name it. I talked about it, and I think it was quite relieved to um, see the back of me at the end. So of you it. just sat quietly in the dark delivering a monologue? I delivered the best monologue go you've ever for, heard you in your Dreamer. life. Yeah. The irony was... Barbara's monologue contains subjects we should have been listening to, all of us. Climate change, fishing, issues of crucial importance to the South Pacific. The other subject very much on Barbara's agenda was Australia's use of Nauru as an offshore detention centre. And it was this story that Nauru's authorities appeared to be trying to control. We were told we could interview some refugees as long as it was out in, in the open and not hidden away in a camp somewhere. But so I was outside a restaurant. Where she was allowed to be. Barbara had the right visa, she was in Nauru as a journalist during the Pacific Leaders Forum and she wasn't doing anything other than what a journalist should do. But Nauru is keeping a secret for Australia. A secret not even medical staff on Nauru were able to see. Yes, even doctors there for the purpose of working with the refugees aren't allowed inside what the Australians call the processing centre. A lot of refugees now live in settlements which are around uh, closer to the coast and so we could do home visits most of the time there but actually the processing centres where you had to go through security, uh, we were not permitted to go in there. Why not? More on that in a moment. But first, Dr Beth O'Connor, a psychiatrist working on Nauru with Medicine Sans Frontières. She wasn't allowed into the centre, but when the refugees came out, she could and did see them. 
And this is what she saw. They were presenting with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, they had significant levels of self-harm, suicidal uh, thoughts and suicide attempts. Uh, amongst the children, uh, we were also seeing those same illnesses uh, and we were seeing uh, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts in children as young as nine years old. Remember, this is on Nauru, but it's an Australian facility. Now, at this stage, we'd welcome the Australian government to this podcast, if that front. But they won't. Our written request for either the new Immigration Minister, David Coleman, or his predecessor, Peter Dutton, received a single line in reply. We are unable to facilitate an interview. Struth. But here's what Peter Dutton has said before, a governmental version of events rather strikingly at odds with what Beth O'Connor has told us. Children have access to education and healthcare, and far from living in the hellhole advocates would have you believe, refugees on Nauru are free from a fear of persecution, and many are building new lives. So, Barbara was detained, the Australian government won't front, and Nauru won't even let doctors inside the detention centre. Meanwhile, the refugees on Nauru have become more and more dispirited by the fact there is no way out. And Dr Beth O'Connor was able to observe that in a condition called resignation syndrome in children. People get to know you, so these children would talk to me in the settlements or at the shops. And then we saw children start to uh, socially withdraw, become depressed and take to their bed. And when we visited them in the settlements, in their um, modules, uh, these children were lying in their beds. They wouldn't talk to us anymore. And these were children that previously I'd been able to talk to, so that was quite... Um, yeah, it was quite horrific to see that deterioration from these children who previously would interact with us to just lying in their beds and looking right through us. Why would Nauru, to where these refugees were not heading, remember they were bound for Australia, treat people like this? Why has Nauru become a kind of penal colony? My name is, uh, is Malakai Kolomatangi. Uh, I'm uh, the director of uh, Pacifica at Mass University and also uh, co-director of the Pacific Research and Policy Centre at Mass University. Dr Malakai Koloamatangi is an academic with an acclaimed expertise in our region. When I say Nauru, what do you think? Well, you think of phosphate, don't you? That's the uh, number one thing you think about it. It sure was. Nauru's phosphate mining, much of it ending up on farms in New Zealand and Australia, briefly generated extraordinary income for the tiny nation. But when the mining stopped, so did the income. And there was no plan B. And the transition from phosphate to poverty, where once phosphate was so lucrative, it happened so quickly, didn't it? happened so quickly and, and dramatically. It was a very f quick change from being, I think, one of the most wealthiest uh, countries in the world per capita um, to one of the most poorest. Which means that the money they get from Australia to host an offshore detention centre is actually keeping their economy afloat. It's a money earner and it's, it's controversial but it's a money earner all the same. So the Nauruan government 
doesn't have many options for generating income. Unfortunately, the offshore camp is one of those uh, ways to generate income. So, essentially broke, with little in the way of foreign exchange income, Nauru makes a living by housing an Australian detention centre for refugees. The irony is a striking one. As sea levels rise, the Pacific Ocean will create its own refugees. And who will take them? If people are displaced, then of course New Zealand Australia will have to deal with the refugee issue. Although in a different way to, to the refugees who are housed, uh, in the camps in Nauru and Papua New Guinea. So at the moment, the Pacific is a place where Australia is looking to export its refugee issue, but in fact, the Pacific is going to create its own refugees. That's right. We haven't thought about that problem yet, and we should. New Zealand and Australia need to think about that because it's going to be here uh, sooner rather than later. Australia has called the policy under which it uses offshore detention centres the Pacific Solution. But is it one, or is it simply buying time, or leasing time, on a small and remote island? Nauru's economic vulnerability created opportunity, and Australia, determined to not let refugees land on the continent itself, has exploited it. Barbara Drever has seen the rollercoaster ride of that tiny economy, and Nauru is currently on the up. I was there a few years back when it was just about bankrupt and all the shop shelves were empty. Um, so things have improved a little bit by now, and we know why. It's mm. because the Australian government's shoving money at them. I mean, they 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 had uh, very little money. Now they're up to 100. They had 20 million dollars in in their their budget. Uh, that was in 2010, 2015. We're looking at 115 million, and and that's thanks to the Australian government. So it is looking a bit better, but. Do you know, it is the oddest place. It is quite different from the rest of the Pacific. The people are quite defensive. There's 11,000 people that live there. It's 21 square kilometres. It's tiny. There's one place on the island that's safe to swim at. It's not like a beach paradise, right? And in the middle of this little place is this, looks like the moon. Did they know the impact on their land, you know, countries in Polynesia, they, their land is their soul. And in the Pacific, your land is your soul. And to have it mutilated like that, maybe, I don't know what the thinking was at the time in the 70s and the 80s of the people themselves, but they got huge wealth from it. But was it enough? And I think, in a way, they're a lost people. So, gosh, that's a nice description. The land is mutilated. It's 21 square kilometres. So when the land is mutilated, there's nowhere to hide from the mutilation. Yeah. The phosphates have gone and therefore the income is gone. Australia starts running this offshore detention mm. centre regime and there is Nauru and now it is infamous throughout the world for being the place that the refugees end up because they can't be allowed into Australia under this zero tolerance policy. Yeah. So what do we think of Australia's use of this country in these circumstances? I, I think it's disgraceful and it's appalling and it is, they're just users. For Australia, which has a dubious reputation in the region anyway, they, to have this, let's just put them there and we'll just shove money at Nauru, who the government willingly accepts it. Where to from here? The refugees are trapped, 
New Zealand would take some, but Australia seems reluctant to let that happen. America was going to, but has changed its mind. And a major watchdog, Medicine Sans Frontières, has been evicted from Nauru. Yes, Dr Beth O'Connor and her colleagues have gone. So you were there doing valuable work with a highly vulnerable group of people. And then Medicine Sans Frontier is asked to leave? Yes, we received um, a letter and it said that our services were no longer required and uh, that it was from the following day that that letter was, that um, the services had to stop. Uh, so there wasn't uh, time for the team to be able to uh, tidy up with their patients, say goodbye to their patients, uh, hand over in an effective manner. Uh, they were just told by the next day that they had to stop. The Nauru paradox is striking. It's simultaneously becoming more isolated because of the detention centre and more reliant upon it. So it was a cynical piece of opportunism by Australia to fix upon Nauru. And Nauru, in a way, if it said no, what would it have done? How else could it have earned money? Tourism, not a chance? Not a chance. Not a chance. I guess they can't grow anything on Nauru. They need that cash um, to survive, really. And that's what's so sad, you know. It's, I, I just, it's one of the great tragedies of the Pacific, is Nauru. And I know it's been described as a hellhole, and in some ways it is, and you know, but that's the natural environment. It's not the people. I feel sorry for the people. They, they don't really like the refugee situation. I'm talking about the people, grassroots mm -hmm. level. And the refugees themselves, for whom Nauru is such a dead end, Barbara Drever was detained for an hour or two. For them, detention is now their entire lives. But there's nothing for them to do. And that is the thing that struck me the most is, you know, you, they have a roof over their heads and they're not in a war zone, um, so that's the good side. But on the, the flip side, they feel that they have no hope. I did talk to a refugee from Iraq and he said to me, we had so much hope and now it's gone. We've got no hope, we're, we're not going anywhere. It's been such a privilege talking to you, Barbara Driven. That was The Story, a TVNZ podcast produced by Julie Clothier and edited by Justin Moore. I'm John Campbell. Thanks for joining us.